and welcome to the Social Rec Stories podcast. I think my name's Liz Murphy. It's been you a while. Think? I, look, it's been a while since I've been behind the microphone. I've got no guarantee that, no, no, I'm pretty sure my name is Liz Murphy. <laughs> Say it really clear, Liz. Hello there, everyone. My name's Liz Murphy and I'm one of the co-hosts for Social Rec Stories podcast. Yeah, yeah. And across the room, is my wonderful friend I haven't seen for such a long time. It's so good to see you, Dr. Mim Fox. Hello. Hello. I know. It's like looking in a mirror sometimes with you, Liz. <laughs> it's been too long. It's been, I think it's been over six weeks since we've been in the same room together. It's true. We've been having adventures in completely different parts of the world. You've been in Anzwa. I have been among to the other Anzwa destinations. Symposium in Perth. And you have been in Germany amongst oh, other no. places. Such a fantastic holiday. Five weeks in Germany. Was it incredible? It was fantastic. And one of the highlights included being on a social work podcast, a German social work stories podcast, a social work podcast, I should say, IWMM with Mr. Benedict Geyer. Fantastic. Who just through social media had contacted you, you linked me to him. And before I know it, I'm having coffee with him on the Rhine River talking about all things social work and then he interviewed me for his podcast and I interviewed him but he was very very judgmental about his the standard of his English which by the way was sublime I can only say two German words by the way what are they Guten Tag and Kugelschreiber so you you say them well you you say them well thank you thank you very much but I did promise him that I would not use it and instead he wants to Skype in sometime soon with us and talk about the work that he's doing in sexual health with young people. So in... we're going to do a classic podcast crossover episode. Wouldn't that be interesting? I think that's fantastic. And we've made a friend. Yeah, and look, we've spoken so regularly on this podcast about the Global Social Work Tribe and I love that you put it in action and went and visited one of our tribe all the way in Germany. It was the least I could do, and I was very happy to do what this. What a sacrifice the, you made the for the profession. Social Stories Please. podcast team. <laughs> and what about Answer Mim? How was that for you? So for all these people who are thinking, is that even a word you're saying? The Answer is the Australian New Zealand Social Work Education and Research Organisation. And uh, in Australia, that's more the organisation that uh, is around social work education and research as opposed to our professional body. Right. If that makes sense. So uh, we have an annual symposium and our listeners who've been with us since the beginning of this podcast would remember that we actually launched this podcast at the Answa Symposium in Adelaide a year ago. And this year was, it was in Perth. We were able to go and celebrate with everyone the first year of our podcast, which was fantastic. The theme for the, pod, for the symposium this year was around social workers contributing to a just society and using and for us it was also using technology in that contribution so really interesting for us to be able to engage in that space we did a lot of recordings with uh, a lot of activist social workers which was fantastic Mm. and so coming soon listeners we're going to be recording a mini series for the social work stories podcast that actually is on that theme of activism as a way of social creating social change and topical Given the climate action 
I, I do think activism is going through a resurgence, isn't it? World over. Yeah. Yeah. Never so. throw away your placards. Oh, it's fantastic. And it was great actually hearing all these social workers, uh, like what would you consider old school social workers, talking about how in the 70s they pounded the pavement, in the 80s it changed to letter writing campaigns and actually tracking it through, tracking their activism through the decades. So that's great, really good. Perhaps we've done full circle but with a twist of social media and what that's brought to activism. Yeah, now. quite possibly. And there was a theme of that as well at the conference, where does social media and digital technology sit with all of that? So it's actually really inspirational. And we did. We we all were represented. I, I know I was in by accident in a climate march in Mainz when Fantastic. I was meeting Benny. I did, so happened that we had arranged to meet in a square. I described what I look like and <laughs> only to go to this square that was having a climate march. So, you know, like there were many people, middle-aged women, who, who were standing in this square... Very passionate about climate. Well, so no Benny one is like a middle-aged woman. Yes. <laughs> I'm hearing you. Yeah. So it took a while for Benny to find me. And Justin marched in the Sydney one. Yes. And Ben as well. Fantastic. Mimule with us in, in spirit. Oh, I was um, teaching at exactly that moment in time about activism. Ah. And so I was able to welcome late into the class the students who had come directly from the climate change marches in Wollongong. And we actually discussed the role that those marches and protests played in the class, in the topic of the class for that day. So it was actually really timely. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So should we talk about this Today's episode? episode? Yeah. I mean, we, you and I could keep on talking about all things other, but I think people want to listen to an episode. And today's one is the first, I think this is the first social worker that we've had who talks to us um, from a long-term therapeutic practice. So yes. So he's a social worker working in that therapeutic space. I think he's also an academic. Um and we're going to it, this is this is one of those episodes where you and I are going to tease out some thoughts around some pretty um, I think at times controversial areas. Yeah. Um, we're talking about sex and social work and I'm pretty sure we promised we were going to do this many many episodes ago and about what takes place within the therapeutic space when eros enters the room. Yes. And how you then discuss that and the importance of discussing that in supervision. This could very well be our um, sex, drugs and rock and roll episode of our podcast, Liz. One of many, I hope. I hope so too. Important to say that before we listen to our social worker, this is one of our tribe from America who's giving us this story. And we're so thankful to have heard from him and uh, look forward to hearing what he's got to say. Great. Let's have a listen. So I was doing outpatient therapy um, at the time, and I had a couple, uh, and uh, I'll call them Curtis and Mark. Uh, And Curtis and Mark were a gay couple, uh, and they were uh, struggling with a number of issues, one being uh, drug and alcohol use, a lot of drug and alcohol use, as in cocaine, uh, lots of... uh, uh, they often went into K-holes, uh, and uh, they struggled with 
uh, they used marijuana, but they also drank a lot and all that kind of stuff. Um, But they uh, also became uh, violent with each other when they did. But that wasn't their primary issue about why they came to me. The primary issue about why they came to me was that of jealousy. Uh, and they would go out and they would get intoxicated, they would probably end up doing some drugs, whatever, uh, and uh, one of them would end up flirting with other people and the other uh, would become, uh, what would project uh, that that was happening. And sometimes it was happening and sometimes it wasn't. Uh, and so it was one of the, the the challenges that they struggled with was when one of them perceived that that was happening, he became really jealous. And uh, when they were home later, there would be violence. Uh, and uh, and typically, I don't see I don't see uh, families or couples who are violent. It's just not a safe space for them to do that. Uh, and originally. Uh, I only saw the, the one uh, person who became jealous, and he was the one who became violent. And so that was a lot of the work we did, and he asked if uh, his partner could come and see me, and I said, sure, uh, but we have to have a conversation about violence if that's going to be the case. Uh, and so uh, we ended up having a, uh, we worked together for quite some time, uh, and uh, uh, they, um, the intervention that I employed was uh, a lot of uh, EFT, emotional focus therapy, uh, and narrative therapy. Uh, and so uh, some of the experience of that was being able to help them try to reauthor their lived experience as a couple and what they wanted, what they didn't want. Uh, and uh, I told them that I would not work with them if they were violent, uh, and they agreed to not be violent. Uh, and we worked together for probably a year uh, or so uh, and, uh, uh, and processed through what it meant to reauthor their own story of their relationship. And uh, it was actually quite successful. Uh, you know, they stopped using, they uh, ended up uh, working hard on what it meant to be in relationship with each other. And uh, one of the things that I appreciated and respected about them was uh, the notion of what it meant to to be an authentic queer couple publicly, because uh, they really they struggle with that for quite a long time. Uh, so I was pleased with it. And so one of the things that I always found fascinating with them was that it was always about their projection on each other. Uh, and most of the time, it wasn't even true. Uh, like, it, it was just a lot of projection about their own lived experience, their own, uh, what they felt like they wanted from someone else on them. And so, one of the things that's challenging for many gay couples in particular is 
they experience being attracted to other men, uh, cisgender men in particular, uh, on a regular basis. And so what ends up happening is that they have an attraction template about what they're attracted to and they project onto other people and they end up saying things that they would want to be, to happen to them. Um, and so that might be part of the process. And for this couple, that was part of it. Uh, and so they often ended up feeling jealous about like, okay, this person's showing this, you know, my husband, my partner affection, and I, I want that. I want that experience. And he's getting it, and now I feel jealous about that. And now I'm inebriated, intoxicated, I'm altered, what have you, and I don't handle my own reaction well. So a big part of that process was dealing with uh, EFT, with, um, emotionally focused therapy, uh, and being able to say, okay, I'm going to take this motion, I'm going to put this down. I'm going to, I need to put this jealousy down. I need to put this down here uh, and figure out who's being the distancer and who's being the pursuer. Uh, and that's a lot of often connected to attachment theory. Uh, the idea of what it means to feel um, what I would uh, like. Uh, to feel a sense of either you're not giving me a much, a, a enough connection or you are giving me um, too much. Uh, and, uh, and that's often connected to what we call skin hunger. Uh, and skin hunger being the sense of uh, the longing and desire to be touched. Uh, and uh, this couple had a very discordant uh, experience of that. And I'll explain it in this context. One, uh, one was what I often call a pickle tub. Uh, that is, you can, if you think about water is touch and you put how much touch you put into uh, a, a pickle tub and it takes so much to fill up, right? Versus a pickle jar, which is it's really small, right? And the notion of you just put a little bit of water in that and it fills up easily. And so pickle jars are like, thank you, that's enough. And pickle tubs are like, love me, caress me, hold me, hug me, all that kind of stuff. And uh, and it and of course, naturally, they often end up in a relationship together, uh, and uh, and it causes some difficulty. Uh, and usually, what I end up saying to the uh, uh, pickle tubs is put out on occasion, <laughs> and to the pickle jars, I'm like, get a pet. <laughs> or go get a massage or something. Uh, and so that's a little bit, and that's a lot of what I worked with with them. I wanted to bring that particular case into it uh, simply because, uh, in, into this conversation, because I also want to talk a little bit, if it's okay, about uh, both erotic transference and erotic countertransference. Um, uh, they were both very attractive men. <laughs> and. Uh, I will say that um, it, it was, uh, I was attracted to them. That was just, it was true. And they often commented on uh, my looks as well. Now, one of the things that is absolutely critical, I think, for being an ethical social worker is to be able to navigate those kinds of uh, situations with a supervisor. And I did, and it went very successful in that way. Um, be uh, primarily because I wanted to uh, navigate uh, 
what it was like to feel attracted to clients that I had as a couple. I mean, that they were just very handsome. And in supervision, one of the things that I talked about very explicitly was what that was like. Uh, and it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't something that I was embarrassed about. It's not something that I'm ashamed of. Uh, and frankly, I regularly tell my students that if they don't talk about whether or not they're attracted to their clients, they're in trouble. Uh, and so I, I think that's critical. So a piece of my work was what it was that led me to feeling attracted to them. And so I had to do my own personal work, including going to therapy on my own, because I think every single social worker should also sit in the client's chair. Uh, and if they don't, then I think they're in serious trouble. Uh, so I, uh, I acknowledge that, I processed it. And the good news is, is that I feel like I was able to be a really effective social worker with these clients, and I also was to be able to be ethical with them and keep appropriate boundaries and all those kinds of things. Uh, I mean, if we, if we don't deal with that kind of stuff, then we're pretending to be anybody other than who we are. And I think as a gay person, that, that actually gives me a sense of permission to be able to do that in ways that oftentimes both cisgender folks and straight folks don't navigate well. And frankly, if, <laughs> I mean, I, I have the kind of relationship with my husband that I can have those conversations and it was fine. It was fine. I, you know, I'm not crazy. Uh, it was just, it makes me worried when I feel like students or colleagues can't have acknowledgement of eros in the, in, the, in the clinical room or in the, even in the classroom. Like, what is it like to be attracted to students? What is it like to have students attracted to you? What's it like to have clients attracted to you? All those kinds of things. And so I think a big part of my work is trying to be open and honest about that kind of stuff and doesn't scare me, doesn't frighten me away, and that I will always have those conversations with students in a way that is authentic and honest. Mim, I wanted to pick up with the erotic transference and counter-transference that our social worker refers to. Yeah, go Liz. And I just, I so appreciated him bringing that up because it is one of those areas that I don't think we do fabulously in Australia and, and maybe I, that's being unfair. Maybe I just need to own it, right? So I, as you know, I have worked in a space where I was doing long-term therapeutic work with people. Yeah. We've both done medium-term, we've both yeah. done short-term, right? And I don't know, all of these years that I have had supervision, I have never taken that issue into the supervision space and I feel really remiss because that's not to say that there haven't been times when I have felt eros in the room of course eros in the in the ward eros in the outpatient rehab like it exists but somehow I don't think I have been in a forum where we openly talk about it um, and what we're social workers how we can language it in the supervisory space and then what are some of the issues that, that we need to be mindful of. And I think he articulated it so well for me. He said, I took it in because it was about keeping myself ethical 
and it was about talking about the boundaries but he also owned it that here were these two attractive guys who he felt attracted to and who were being quite flirtatious with him and we know that that happens the reality is Liz this is a social worker who's a sex therapist that's where his expertise lies right so there he is in a room in a counseling room with two people who have opened them their entire relationship up for him right what a personal vulnerable space to be sitting in with him and they're talking about all things sex and all things attraction so of course it makes perfect sense to me that this notion of eros and attraction would become like a tangible force in the room it would actually be sitting there in between remember that interaction doesn't exist in an alone space interaction is actually what happens between people so actually in that situation with three people in the room you can totally imagine that 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 vibe that's happening between the three of them is alive right so to actually not be able to take that feeling and that moment into another space where you can actually sit with it wrestle with it debate it like supervision I I feel like in some ways that's actually the unprofessional bit is to not take that out of that setting and sit with it yourself as the social worker I, I absolutely agree with you and but I don't know what to do with that yeah I, I don't know what to do with it because I know when I was working in that therapeutic space I didn't have it um mentioned to me that this might occur and if it does it is legitimate to talk about that in this supervisory space no well we don't talk about it in social work do we exactly and I didn't feel able to language what I felt was going on in the therapeutic space with certain clients it's really interesting how much like we talk so much about power in social work education right like it's that's critical social work and power is everywhere in our discussions but what we don't really talk about is the power that sits with attraction and sits with this much more interpersonal the effect of belonging connectedness and affirmation and how that actually can play out in attraction that's the bit we don't talk about very much in social work I would love to hear that conversation Mm. because I, I don't know about you but when I was at uni, I did an elective and it was called Human Sexuality. Yeah. And I'm sure they wouldn't get away with some of the <laughs> teaching strategies that was going on at the time. But there was, you know, we would have a flooding of all these images of various people having sex on the auditorium wall. And then we'd have to go and talk about it with a partner and then divulge our first sexual encounter. Imagine, with this strange... oh my God, Liz, imagine the complaints now. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't. Like, I'm sure if we were to say this to some of our students now, they'd go, <laughs> no way could that happen. No, well, we're living in a completely different age, right? But then... I don't think I've had the conversation with people about how does that play out in the day-to-day work of a social work therapist? How do you acknowledge it? How do you talk about it? How do you both use it in the supervisory space but then take it back into the therapeutic room? I think what we've done is we've actually cordoned it off 
we've actually relegated it to certain areas of social work practice. So as a profession, it's definitely in Australia, I think what we've done is we've said it's okay to talk about sex and sexuality if you are a sexual health social worker, if you are a sexuality social worker, even if you're in private practice and you do sex therapy, that's okay to talk about that. But if you're in any other field in social work practice, I think by and large, as a profession, we've implicitly decided (laughs) that we don't speak about this. That's right. So we don't talk about it with our clients and therefore, of course, we're not going to be owning it when we're in supervision or when we're reflecting on that therapeutic yeah. and we And if you add to that the ridiculously Western notion of boundaries that we have, right? So actually boundaries equals distance. Boundaries equals um, court, like rule, ruling a line between yourself and the client. This is where I start and stop and this is where you start and stop. But actually if we go back to some of the more Indigenous ways of knowing boundaries and belonging and connectedness we know that that is not the same for everybody and we also know from our colleagues like this colleague that actually if you look at this in different practice spaces it can also be seen differently and and I think he articulated it beautifully he said my work was to discuss what it was like to feel attracted to them I had to do my own personal work which also meant going to therapy. Yeah. So I can we just kind of flip into that Please. now? Yeah. What are your thoughts about social workers doing their own work, doing their own therapy? So outside of supervision? Yeah. So completely separate to professional supervision. Yes. Actually going into personal therapy yourself. Yes. Okay. So... I think it should just be said for starters because we know that we have an international listener base is that in Australia therapy isn't uh, as the notion of therapy isn't as popular and strong as it might be for example as it is in America yes Um, and uh, generally speaking you might know people who go into counseling but it's called counseling in a different way it's much more casual Exchange And so there's not a lot of social workers who've actually had counselling themselves unless they've gone through some difficult life change or life situation of therefore sorted out, yeah? Um, And I know from American colleagues who I've spoken to over the years that for them in their social work education, part of doing their um, Masters of Social Work qualifying is that they actually had to go through therapy at exactly the same time as their studies. Um, I've often been really in awe of that Mm. Uh, because I know at um, different points in my life I've got counselling for different specific things and that then has become a larger piece of counselling for me in my life and I've always got so much out of it that actually it, it does amaze me that we don't in some ways require this of our social workers in training it's a it's a cultural thing right yeah because I I mean I I do believe that good therapy for our social workers would only be a benefit to clients and it's about it it's about being in that space that we ask of our clients of our of our patients but it's also about many of us are wounded healers consciously or unconsciously and I think we have a responsibility to be looking at that for ourselves for ourselves but also for the work that we do yeah I've often say to students how can you create a vulnerable space for someone else if you don't know how to sit in one yourself and I think that's that's that about having integrity in your practice right yes about how 
how can you actually really genuinely know someone else's experience until you've understood the emotions that sit underneath that experience you don't need to have gone through exactly the same life experiences as another person but to understand being vulnerable to understand a sense of shame or anxiety or fear like those emotions are so powerful that you need to have experienced some of that in order to actually be able to sit with someone in their experience, I believe. I, I totally agree with you, Mim. And I think also to be clear about this is my stuff that's playing out here now. Yeah. This is not theirs. That's exactly right. So owning your stuff. Mm. And I think that's what people often are scared of, right, is that if they actually come face-to-face with their stuff, with their baggage, with their emotional history – that actually that then makes them so vulnerable that it will spill out all the time and how can they then go into a therapeutic session with someone else and not have that transference, Mm. right? But actually what we're trying to say is that owning that and coming face-to-face with it is part of processing it and putting it in a more professional quote-unquote context. Mm. Would that be right? I, I agree. Yeah. Gee, I'm glad we agree on that one. But, but <laughs> I'm sure that disagree. there will be other people that, that, that would have a different opinion. And, and again, I would say we would be so interested to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, some of the topics that um, our social worker t- in today's episode brought up, they, they do worry some people, right? The idea of recreational drug use is not something that everybody sits well with, you know? Like there, there are some some kind of tricky ideas in there that I actually think for the social work profession, we actually need to come to terms with the reality of people's lives and I being a human. I totally agree. And I also think and want to emphasise his point about sex negativity and I think mm. our profession, especially here in Australia really needs to look at that and how we can be more sex positive in our work and yeah I think the s word word is still taboo in our practice and we need to do more work in that area I'd love to like do more thinking about and not necessarily here and now but generally on the podcast around what does sex positivity actually look like oh yeah you know what I mean like yeah because I think in society overall, we've done a lot of work on body positivity and positionality uh, and intersectionality. But this idea around sex positivity, I don't know that they're, we're there yet. So if the society's not there yet, how can social work actually perhaps lead a charge in that way? Mm. And I'd like, to, I'd like to do some more thinking around what does that really look like in our everyday practice? I think we'll probably... Now that we've thrown it out there, we'll probably get some, you know, messages, offers. Mm. But, yeah, let's think about it more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's fascinating. I think that's great. So where does this leave us, Min? Well, I think... Is it time it, to say goodbye? It leaves us in being really positive. <laughs> and you and I agreed, uh, which we thought we were going to go into this episode disagreeing, Liz. We did, didn't we? We thought there'd be some we sparks. We ex- you'd be in one corner and I'd be in the other. But no. No sparks. You see... Me. We're back together again on the same page. It's great to be back. (laughs) Liz, we got the greatest message sent to us from one of our social work tribe, uh, from this great social worker, Alex, down in um, Victoria, Australia. And she left us this excellent message. So we thought we'd play it and, um, and hear what she had to say. Hi, everyone. 
my name is Alex. I'm a social worker at the Royal Women's Hospital in Victoria. For me, the podcasts have been an amazing tool in terms of reflecting on my practice that I do day in and day out, um, and really just uh, reassuring myself and kind of reflecting on how far I have come as a social worker being from a new grad, um, and just really acknowledging that the work that we do is really heavy and intense, um, and the importance around self-care. I think we're great at telling our clients and families how to better self-care, um, and I think we need to start doing that ourselves a bit better. Overall, love being a social worker. I love listening to these podcasts. Please don't stop them, um, and a big shout-out to all the amazing social workers all around the world. Bye. Thanks so much, Alex. It was so great to hear from you Uh, and fantastic to hear how our podcast is actually affecting you and your practice. That's just brilliant to hear. Look, we really want to hear from people about what do you think of the podcast? How's, How's it actually engaging with you in your everyday? What does it mean to you? We really want to hear, but we also want to hear if you've got questions or if there's anything we've brought up on the podcast because we bring up a lot of... Well, I was just thinking in relation to our episode today, someone might want to leave a voicemail and say, I just want to say, I don't think we do have to do therapy as social workers. We can still be excellent practitioners without having done our own therapy. Or I really don't want to talk about sex. I'm going to leave that to all those other social workers. That's fine. (laughs) Totally fine. So I think if you, all of you out there in the great wide world of social work, if you have something you want to ask us, something you want to raise, or just want to let us know what this podcast has been helping you with in your everyday, anything you want us to do more of, please just bring out your phone, do a voice memo, and then upload, uh, send it to us on email, socialworkstoriespodcast at gmail.com. And we'd be really happy to hear it and play it and have a think about how we can do more of what you're enjoying and what's helping you out. Great plug, Min. Yeah. I just wanted to say one last thing before we say farewell. Yeah. Ben Grace, the guy who wrote our theme song, who sings it, turned 40 whilst we were all away. He's and so old. Such yeah, a old man. Happy birthday, Ben. Happy birthday, Ben. And um, it looks like you're doing a lot more songwriting, so wish you all the best with that. And life only gets better after 40, Ben. That's just what I want to say. So they say. As well as that, we want to just hear from everyone. So get on to social media at SOWK Stories Pod. That's our handle at Twitter, Instagram. And our, we've launched a website. Liz, I don't think we've announced that yet. So we launched this really cool website. It's www.socialworkstories.com. And we're going to start funneling different things through that website in the future. So different videos, different resources, links to different things for our podcast. So keep an eye on it, guys. Keep an eye. We have our new students starting next week too, which we really do. Great. So, a Frida Zane. As they say. A Frida Zane. (laughs) Love it. Bye, everyone. See you next time.